can AI help us connect trillions of smart devices? Welcome to Tech First with John Gutsier. Right now, there are maybe 20 billion devices connected to the internet. It sounds like a lot, right? Laptops, phones, watches like that, smart devices that we wear, smart devices in our homes, smart TVs, smart speakers, and of course, industrial IoT. I learned a little bit about this myself just in the smart home space about a month or two ago when we changed our Wi-Fi. And for about 30 days after that, I was changing devices everywhere that had to get updated. In a decade, however, those 20 billion devices could be 50 billion. And a lot of that is enterprise IoT. How will we manage that? How will we keep that secure? How will we keep everything connected? So Intel and the National Science Foundation have just funded research into this. It's machine learning for wireless networking systems. And to learn more, I'm going to invite three people who are directly involved in the project. We've got Vida Yildirim, who's the VP at Intel for labs, and she's also a director there. We've got Thiaga Nandagopal from the National Science Foundation. And we've got Pu Wang from the University of Northern Carolina at Charlotte. I believe that's North Carolina at Charlotte. Welcome to the AI <laughs> show, everybody. I think this is a bit of a record. This is the most people we've ever had at any one time on the AI show. So it's a record. Welcome. Thiago, let's start with you. We're talking about billions of devices here, and you're doing things around ultra-dense wireless systems. What does that mean? Can you clarify for that? What is an ultra-dense wireless system? How many devices are we talking about? What's the density? Right. So just for context, your traditional 4G networks that your uh, current uh, mobile devices rely on typically can support a region uh, that has about 300 to 2,000 devices in their coverage area. But at any given time, maybe 20 to 40 devices are active at any given time. So that's the current density that we, we play with right now, which is why sometimes when you go to a stadium, your network doesn't work because suddenly everybody's using the device at the same time. And you, you know, even if it's only hundreds of people, it's, you're, you're having trouble. We are talking about future networks where we are thinking about device densities. Think of what a stadium, a crowded sports stadium. You are going to have tens of thousands in a small region. That's the kind of densities we are going to start from and go all the way up to millions of devices in a coverage area of a single cell site. In a, in a wireless network. Millions of devices mm -hmm. and one single cell site. Yes. Wow. Talk about, I mean, that obviously seems challenging just from a bandwidth perspective, but I'm sure there's other issues as well. What are some of the core challenges of networking in an environment like that? So think of us, all of us, the four of us sitting here. So if each, any one of us have to talk to you, for example, John, I just raise my hand and you can look at me and say, okay, Tiaka, go ahead and talk first. Imagine if you were in a crowded room of 10,000 people. Everybody's lacing the hand, me, 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 me. Just you, John, trying to figure out who should I point to and who should I give an option to speak. You would be struggling to figure that out, right? And you, you have to be fair. You have to make sure that everybody gets a chance to speak. Just doing that can stress you so much. And that's the challenge, the biggest networking challenge that we have in the future generation of networks. Just wow. the, for the base station to decide, who should I give an opportunity to talk and make sure that everybody gets a chance to speak in a given amount of time so they can get their data across is one of the biggest networking challenges. And 
that's just the first step. That's mm -hmm. just the first, I mean, smart devices will often ping a network and say, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm still yeah. here, right? And sometimes we see noisy devices that are doing that often, right? Like hourly or, or even more <laughs> frequently, right? And so we get upset about those a little bit. But Vita, what do we need to learn about networking in those environments? So one of the challenges is uh, you and I as humans, when we are on a call or something, we want to have continuous sessions. We don't want it to be dropped or we don't want to see that sun going on our buffering, 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 right? So when we talk about very dense areas, as uh, Tiaga indicated, we have to serve not only people, but also objects. So one of the fifth generation 5G is doing is to bring in a communication, addressing the things to things communication. So you're gonna have very heterogeneous traffic in your network. You have human to human traffic, which could be video is the most application which has been used today, workload. And then you have to have the capacity, your network has to have capacity to address this need. And uh, so managing the traffic for the different loads, a load from a thing, a device is very different than a load from, for instance, what we're doing right now, streaming video. Uh, and the other thing is we need the throughput, we need high data rates, which means we get our information faster. Also, the stadium is a perfect example when you have so many wireless devices there and with so many, you know, air waves going around, you get lots of interference, right? So how do you manage that interference? So the, the heterogeneity of the network and the number of services we have to address is becoming very complex for our next generation wireless networks. That's what we are facing. And and there's different challenges. You talked a little bit about that. There's different challenges for different things, right? We're using a high bandwidth scenario right here where we need continuous contact mm -hmm. and there's video going both ways and audio. So we need that to stay good. Whether there's these things that ping in occasionally or a little bit here or somebody loads a mobile web page, they need mm -hmm. a burst of bandwidth and then it shuts off. I mean, this is a really, really complicated thing to solve, it sounds like. Yes, indeed. That's true. And that's why this uh, collaboration with NSF is so important in this research area because you have the discipline of communication, computation, and AI coming together to address these challenges, actually. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the projects that you awarded. Maybe give a little bit of context on the awards and what you're trying to accomplish, and then maybe give us a bit of a rundown on some of the key projects that you've awarded. Right. So we traditionally have been funding a lot of work on networking. I mean, yeah, much of the work that you see in 4G today have been realized through NSF research uh, that have been funded in the past 10 years or more than that. So we have been continuing along the path and we have been investigating a lot of 5G for a many long, very long time. As part of that, one of the, what uh, we just heard about the complexity of the network and the challenges of managing the network, the decision-making process in real time has essentially spurred us to think about and the research community that is working on these problems to think about, can we use artificial intelligence techniques, AI and machine learning techniques to help take the human out of the loop and make intelligent decisions on the fly? So sometimes the decisions are, have to be made using data that we have never seen before, that a human just cannot learn in time to make the right decisions. So that's one of the challenges that the community has been wrestling with for a while. And, uh, you know, we have been seeing a steady stream of projects that have been seeking to, you know, maybe how come we can't use AI for these problems? 
So at the same time, we have uh, Intel and NSF have been working uh, together for many years now, almost five years now. Intel came to us and said, look, now we see this as a pressing challenge that has immediate impact in the 5G sphere. Uh, would you be interested in working with us? And you know, we would love to do a joint program on this. Again, I just want to point out that Intel and NSF has, have run five uh, or six programs right now I, before this particular effort. And we said, this is perfect. There's a continuation of this partnership. Let's continue. Let's do this. So we created this targeted effort that as a special call, which is on top of everything that we normally fund, but specifically addressing machine learning and its applications for optimizing network systems. And network systems could be wired and wireless networks and the edge networks where both of them uh, kind of come together. And so this is the name of the program, Machine Learning for Wireless Network Systems. Uh, so ML wins, you know, it's a pun, right? It's a, it's a well-designed pun. I would like to say. And one of the interesting things that we anticipated was we received an overwhelming amount of interest from the research community, which kind of, in some sense, was a very good surprise for us. We are glad to hear that there are so many people who are willing to challenge some of many of these problems. We got so many good projects, and I think our Intel partners and us are extremely thrilled to see the slate of awards that are coming out of this, which I think, you know, we can talk more. But they cut across multiple teams, right? So we are talking about using machine learning to optimize the design of the wired network, the core network, that is the wired part of it that you don't normally see. They're talking about managing the spectrum that is used by your radios to communicate with the base stations and other devices. And then the devices itself, right? The data that the devices send themselves. So if when multiple devices are sending data and the, let's say these are sensors, how can you learn on the fly without having to send all the data back to a central server can you learn efficiently? This particular mm -hmm. is a distributed learning. So they cuts across multiple teams. And I think there are much more to explore. We, we wish we could continue uh, doing more and put more money into this, and we will continue to do more in the future. But this was an extremely promising start for bringing AI and automated you know, autonomous management of networks into the network management and wireless network sphere. Excellent. And we're going to get into one of those projects pretty soon. We're going to bring Puwang into this conversation. I'll just ask you, you know, one of the challenges that's probably topical and top of mind for you is, okay, we're in this dense environment. There's a lot of signals flying around. Now there's an emergency and the police need to communicate or an ambulance or whatever, fire services, that sort of thing. Are you thinking of ways of prioritizing traffic like that? So network prioritization is one of the key topics in this thing, right? So how do you determine automatically prioritize and uh, isolate traffic to provide service guarantees is, is an essential piece of any network optimization problem. And right. we believe that there are some projects that actually are trying to address that. Uh, again, you know, it, it, it's not always necessarily first responders because that's, that's an easy example to grasp, right? Yes. But more often than not, it's a, you want to send a, a tweet that needs to go out is probably more important or you know if you want to have a video conversation that you want to have you want to have that traffic prioritized more than somebody who's trying to watch a youtube video which is more of a one-way communication which is not necessarily as critical so mm -hmm. these decisions right the first responder scenario amplifies it makes it very crisp but you know we networks have to make these decisions on the fly all the time yes and uh, this prioritization is somewhere where artificial intelligence can excel because it kind of can sense the traffic patterns and you can see traffic flow shifting. So for example, one can argue that uh, if there's an emergency, yes, you have to prioritize the first responders, 
but you may also want to prioritize people who are tweeting about it because that's information for the first responders to learn from. Interesting. Interesting. Right? A human probably would not make the, the decision. Yes. However, AI can sense the fact that there's a lot of, there's an event of interest and therefore we need to prioritize traffic around the area of interest and automatically make the cells, you know, capacity from other cells, focus them, focus the energy from the surrounding cells into that region. So the, the structure of the network itself changes dynamically really fast mm-hmm. to prioritize more traffic in that area. So the tweets can get out, the videos can get out and the first responders can also try and communicate with people on the ground. So that's something AI can do really well. And we are excited to enable that kind of solutions with this program, which we cannot do today with current network management solutions. Interesting, interesting. And Puang, obviously we need that intelligence dispersed, right? We need that intelligence close to where things are happening, right? We need that intelligence in our Wi-Fi nodes and networks and our cell towers and other things like that. What, what's your project? Uh, it sort of looks like mesh networking. Yes, somehow it's related to mesh networking. Uh, so overall, uh, my project is to develop smart wireless multi-hop networks, such as mesh network, to uh, enhance the AI performance of edge devices, such as cell phones, like robots, auto-driving cars. So that's the overall uh, goal of my project. Interesting. And talk about what we need AI to do there and what you're using it for? So basically, there are two types of AI technology we are using for this project. One is called federated learning, another one called reinforced learning. So the federated learning is basically it's emerging distributed machine learning paradigm to improve data privacy of compared with the traditional centralized machine learning. So when we talk about AI, basically we need lots of data to train the AI models. The data include personalized data. For example, like when you are using cell phones, like we have the smart keyboard from Android phone or iPhone, which can give you the next word prediction or sometimes also can help you to finish the whole sentence, right? So actually behind that technology is the AI model. So however, to, in order to train the AI model, generally we need to collect the data from all the users and put the data in a central server. So that's increased uh, or raised a lot of privacy concern because people do not want to share the personal data. Definitely you do not want the server to see oh, what, what you are typing in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So how to solve this problem, which basically it's, it's one of the key challenges faced by AI community. So now the federal learning is one of the solutions which can address the privacy issues. So the key concept is that we let many, many edge devices like your cell phones to train a global shared model by using their local without uploading, without recording the, uh, the upload data to the central store so that we can keep data local and private, but we still can get a very accurate and high performance global model. So, so that's how we can make the edge device smarter and smarter. However, we can keep the data private and secure. So okay. another technology uh, we're trying to do is using uh, reinforced learning. So that's actually, it's regarding uh, how we can develop some wireless mesh network to actually to make the edge devices to be coordinated in a much more efficient and timely manner. So wireless mesh network basically like is a low-cost communication uh, infrastructure or paradigm, which use lots of wireless router that are connected to each other using wireless, wireless links instead of wiring such as fiber optical cables. 
Uh, so wireless mesh network actually can provide much more low-cost and efficient networking services for large population of people, including those people living in the low-cost community or low-income community or underdeveloped regions or rural areas. So the recent wild example is like SpaceX starting satellite network, right? So SpaceX actually launched thousands of small satellites which can connect with each other to form a wireless mesh network, which can provide internet service to everyone on the earth. So mm-hmm. now we actually try to utilize the mesh network to coordinate the training process of the edge devices so that we can actually democratize AI by making AI accessible to everyone in the low cost manner, including the people, like as I said, living in the low cost or low, uh, low income regions. So then the, the reinforced learning actually can teach the network to make smart and optimize decisions so that we can improve or optimize the performance of the AI models by using the minimal training time. Okay. Okay. Very, very cool. Good stuff. Vita, let's turn to you. We're getting more and more smart devices in our homes. Offices, factories are getting them as well. And currently, you know, they, they may have local smarts, but they're reaching out to a network. They want to uh, send some data to the cloud or other stuff like that. They just kind of reach out blindly, expect that there's a, a network they can attach to. Uh, are we going to make those smarter as well? How will AI change the picture there? Uh, very good question, John. Uh, so the way you look at it, uh, the first instantiation for AI is basically efficiency, right? So if I have a device which is very power constrained, do I really need to keep pinging um, the tower when I'm not near a tower, right? So you can use that intelligence to you know, preserve your battery power, right, your energy. Uh, that's at the device end, on the network end, you know, the same thing. How can you boost the efficiency by the backend office to make it more productive and you can have your return on investment on it. The other side, as uh, Tiagi mentioned, is this whole workload balance because of type of services that are coming online. So we talk about very diverse and divergent requirement. You know, you have a Twitter feed or you have a video feed or you have a parking meters waking up and sending a kilobits of data and going back to sleep, right? So how do you manage that so your network has the best performance to offer you the best quality of service and experience for the application you need? The third important part is the management of spectrum. Spectrum is a very scarce resource. It's a very expensive resource. <laughs> you look at yes. the <laughs> what FCC, you know, you, you pay sometimes billions of dollars for this mm-hmm. spectrum, right? So you have licensed spectrum, which is uh, control. You have unlicensed spectrum like Wi-Fi. So your cellular base, your LTE, 5G are licensed. Your Wi-Fi, Bluetooth are unlicensed. And then you have shared spectrum. So what AI can help is if the spectrum is not used, maybe intelligently, it can access that spectrum for your uh, managing the workload uh, and the traffic in the pipe, if you may. So it brings the intelligence in there. And you have, uh, you know, every network has multiple spectrums to it, right? You have your LTE, LTE 4G, now with 5G, you have the new 
bands opening. So there are many, many spectrum waves going on. So the idea is also for AI to manage interference between these different spectrum accesses and usages. So there are many, many ways AI can step in and improve the next generation services, be dynamically adjust the spectrum for optimal performance, and of course, um, improve the efficiency of devices and the network on both ends. Interesting. And maybe Spectrum Hop to find a place where you can get communication and maybe say, hey, Wi-Fi is busy. Uh, I'll instantiate some Bluetooth mesh networking That's or something right. like that dynamically right. and go for it, right? Uh, does that require AI-specific chips? I mean, what are you doing there for, for on-device intelligence? So depends. <laughs> That's the question. So if you are on a battery-operated devices, which are like set and forget in the field, or and you want to process the data at the source, either you collect the data. So you need a very low power, you know, efficient. So maybe you need a specific chip for AI to do that intelligence, you know, at that node. But your node could be a remote roadside unit, which you can use, you know, higher use requires a higher performance. Like you can use your high performance CPUs or GPUs, general purpose GPUs. And in that case, you know, you can say, hey, I don't need a very specific. What we have currently can be applied towards AI. So it depends that there's a range of this. So if you're constrained for power, form factor, that type of thing, you probably uh, move more towards ASIC or a specialized solution. If uh, you're looking at bigger workloads towards cloud and edge, then I think some of the existing um, solution may be sufficient. They have to be optimized for that workload. Very, very interesting. Maybe I'll turn this question first to Thiaga, but others are welcome to to jump in on this one. We've seen that smart home sometimes isn't so smart. <laughs> and, and sometimes um, smart devices as well inside companies have been vectors for attack. I believe a couple of years ago, there was a an automated system in a fish tank that was yeah. a vector for attack in a company. Mm -hmm. And it was it was like a smart home device, smart office device. And that was just the way that the hackers got in. We've seen a lot of that in smart home with uh, cameras and other things like that, bad security. What are the particular security challenges of very dense ecosystems? If we move to 50 billion, 100 billion devices globally, I mm -hmm. mean, right now I might have, I don't, it might be 40 or 50 smart devices in mm -hmm. my home. And in the future, it could be everything. Every window is smart. Every surface is smart. Every wall knows where it is. You know, the, the roof and the gutters know when there's water coming down, other things like that. It, you essentially have a smart building envelope and interior. You, it's hard right. to count discrete elements of intelligence in there, but it could be hundreds easily. What are the challenges of security in that scenario? So do you want me to scare your audience completely? Absolutely. <laughs> so I think there are numerous problems. I think part of this has to do with uh, scale. Part of this has to do with the fact that a lot of our devices are increasingly driven by software. And we all know software is inherently buggy, right? I mean, whether we like it or not, that's the reality of the situation. And also it comes from the fact that there are heterogeneous devices. It's no longer, you know, we don't longer use devices provided by a single vendor who controls everything. You know, there are a multitude of devices manufactured and operated by many different people. And it's very hard to kind of know everything that's happening uh, under in the network. 
And of course, the last, the most important one is a human factor, right? You know, ultimately security comes from the fact that you can trust an individual to do the right thing. And when you no longer can trust the individual, there's nothing really you can do. So, so this is like the macro, right? This is the macro issues. But the, if you look at the real challenges, number one, when you have millions of devices or even thousands of devices that are operating, traditional hacking and attacks have come from a single malicious device. Now, the, what is really worrisome to security experts is what we call as low persistent threats, right? So these are things where like a small number of many devices, I mean, sorry, a large number of devices that are doing small things here and there that are not noticeable by, by a human being, right? Mm -hmm. Now I send a packet here, you send a packet somewhere else at different times and together you sneak out you sneak and manage a big attack on the system. I mean, a simple analogy is a distributed denial of service, right? You know, we started out with denial of service, which is a single device pumping a lot of traffic. We know how to handle it. Now we have millions of devices pumping traffic all directed to the single server. You cannot stop any one of them. It's much harder to solve, right? But taking to the extreme, you could have, you know, thousands of IoT devices launching different kinds of attacks. Now they could all be asking the base station, hey, I want to talk, I want to talk, I want to talk drowning out anybody else who really has a real purpose to talk. A simple attack, right? They could all be sending, saying that, oh, I'm down, you know, my network is bad in this area, right? You know, my, I can't send, get your signal. And immediately the base station think that something is wrong with its the signal propagation. So it's trying to adjust automatically, causes starvation somewhere else. So it's like a bunch of what you call as in the aggregate, when multiple of devices work in concert in a malicious manner, that can overwhelm anything that we know uh, how to defend against today, right? This is what I call as like collective behavior. Now, of course, different vendors will have different IoT devices. Each of them may have their own software vulnerabilities and any one software, you know, creating a vector of attack suddenly leads to, you know, you having to figure out where did this attack come from? The network operator has no idea, right? Why is this device, which was working fine until yesterday, is suddenly behaving? Is it behaving badly? because it is misconfigured? Did the owner, the, the person who owns this device accidentally misconfigure the settings to keep sending too much data? Or is it behaving maliciously? Mm -hmm. How do I as an operator decide? Or do I decide to shut this off and cause the complaint and the customer to get upset? Or do I kind of you know, figure out a way to call them up and say, hey, what's going on? How do I alert them? So the operator has to make these decisions and again, at, uh, if you look at it, uh, the scale becomes much harder. If it's 10, 10 devices, 20 devices, it's easier to pinpoint and kind of isolate it. If you're talking about millions of devices, now this becomes a problem. Yes, right? I can really see that. Exactly. And then suddenly you also have to worry about legacy devices. Some of these devices have to be supported for a long time in the network. Let's say I'm putting in an IoT sensor that is going to be embedded on my road or in the bridge that is supposed to be transmitting the condition of the bridge for 20 years. Right? Fast forward 10 years and suddenly the sensor is either behaving uh, as designed or is behaving or stopped working or it's suddenly sending some random stuff. Now, how do I go figure this out, right? I, there's nobody who even understands what software is running on, the, on that sensor anymore, right? Yes. Now, so that's other problem. So, so a lot of it has to do with, you know, secure software development, number one. Of course, the standards themselves have to be secure. Right? because now increasingly we are moving into more of a, a software-driven ecosystem for the 5G and whatever comes after 5G. Uh, 4G and uh, previous generations used to be much more hardware-driven. Now we are going software-driven. 
So the inherent challenges with all with the software bugs that we all face every day move into the network domain very fast. And of course, then there's a human element of it because how do we as humans, you know, handle security challenges when we can't even communicate with the device? So traditionally, until now, our communication has been human-centric. We talk to other humans, or the humans are at least on one end of the communication, right? You're either consuming a, a, a video or you are sending something. But now what uh, Vida pointed out is the machines are going to be sending traffic across each other. Who are you going to talk to to figure this out? <laughs> right? So are you going to say, hey, machine, I don't, what, what are you doing? There's no one to tell you. The machine doesn't know how to talk to you. So we need to have a language to figure out how to communicate and troubleshoot a machine which we don't have yet. So these are some of the challenges we would have to solve, you know, to make these networks robust and secure. And again, AI plays a very important role in these things. I can totally see that. And especially in security and understanding big patterns that are invisible to mm -hmm. a human about what might be going on. Do we have a, a reliable estimate today of what percentage of network utilization is machine to machine traffic? and what that might look like in 10, 20 years? I'm going to defer to Vida uh, because yeah, I was going to say, I don't have that number. Sorry, you need yeah. a cooperator to tell right. you that. That's okay. I mean, anecdotal numbers, yeah, anecdotal numbers have suggested that the number is rising, right? I remember a, a number from some couple of industry reports that talked about the number being around 10 to 15% in 2018, but it's, it was growing at an annual rate. I mean, they're projecting that to be 50% or so by 2025. Wow. So that's a huge number, right? I wow. mean, it's like a growing pretty fast. Again, a lot of this, these are projections, of course, right? It yes. all depends on how much we, you know, we see IoT become prevalent and pervasive and how much of it really relies on uh, cellular network connectivity. A lot of these devices still use Wi-Fi. Yes. And, you know, for that part, you know, we, we all know that your Roku devices and your phone devices talk a lot in the background, even when you're not uh, watching a video or consuming. Very talkative. <laughs> right, they're very talkative, right? Now, we don't know what's going to happen on the cellular network. Will they continue to do so or not? But some of the projections are essentially showing rapid growth in that model. Very, very interesting. Well, thank you all for participating in this. I much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Excellent. This has been, of course, Tech First with John Kutsir. Really appreciate your time. If you're listening to this on the podcast, hey, like it, share it, subscribe to it, or even give us a review. It would be much appreciated. Have a great day.